0: Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to finish a series of sermons today on temptation. And we're going to finish by um, reviewing. We're going to talk about what we've talked about and then pull out a couple of important truths as we move ahead from the last four weeks. A few years ago, there was a documentary made Um, that detailed an experiment that happened with children. And this is what the experiment was about. They took some children and they placed them in a room at a table. And in front of them in the room, they placed on the table some sort of treat. A cookie, candy bar, marshmallow, whatever was specific for them. And they told the kids, listen. We are going to walk out of the room for 10 minutes. And if we come back and that cookie or candy bar is still there intact, we'll give you extra cookies. Or we'll give you double the amount of what is there. And so the experiment then was they walked out. And as they walked out, what the kids didn't know is that they were on camera the whole time. And what was interesting was to see some of the kids' reactions. Uh, um, some kids just—they didn't even care. They just ate the ate the cookie or the treat right away, just like. I'm not ten minutes. I'm not waiting ten minutes. They just, you know, as soon as the door shut, the cookie went in the mouth. Others tried to get as close as they could to the cookie without touching it. You could see them smelling it, and one kid even laid his head on the table right beside it. One child bent down to the cookie and touched it with his finger, smelled it with his nose, and then licked the top of it. Now, here's what they wanted to do. They, they did that experiment and they recorded the observations. Then they followed the kids into their lives. And their question they wanted answered was, does a child's ability to delay gratification or resist immediate temptation have anything to do with whether or not they can do that later in life. And here's what they found. It did. The kids that were able to not partake were generally the more well-adjusted, good decision-makers in life. The kids that scarfed down the cookie immediately often led themselves into places that they shouldn't be by making poor choices. For us, temptation in our lives is often like being in a room by ourselves with something we greatly desire in front of us. And we've got to make the choice whether to partake or not. Now, I don't mean to say that temptation is childish. In fact, temptation is much more than, than kind of intellectual stuff. It's much more than, um, than just kind of some feelings we've got to get over. It, it's not a calm thing at all. In fact, I was listening to a sermon this week by a guy that I respected. Uh, occasionally I'll listen to something and just think, I just don't know that I agree with that. And he was he was saying that temptation is something you can learn how to deal with. And once you learn all the tricks that Satan uses and once you learn how to deal with them, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when they pull the curtain back. You remember the end of The Wizard of Oz? If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm ruining it, but it's been out for a few decades, all right? You know they pull the curtain back and there's the little man there and remember what he says, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain, right? And this this pastor said, once you understand all about that, temptation is like having the curtain pulled back. I don't agree with that. Because I think that makes temptation way too clinical. And temptation is something that comes from the wildness of our heart. Part of what I've done as I've studied and read is read an excellent book that I, I would recommend if you Are interested in this kind of topic, or struggling with some things. It's a book that has kind of been the backdrop for a lot of the things that that the Lord has taught me in the midst of this study. It's a book called Tempted and Tried by a guy named Russell Moore, who's a vice president at Southern Seminary. Russell Moore tells the story of a guy, and he changes the name of it, but tells the story of a guy named Felix who came to him one day, and he and Felix are good friends, and he said, I could tell from the moment he walked in there was something different about Felix this morning. He wouldn't look me in the eye. He wouldn't wouldn't, uh, uh, talk straight to me. He, He stared at his hands and flexed them open and shut, and he kept saying, I think I'm going to hell. And I said, well, why? And his friend said, I feel like I'm on the edge of denying Christ at all times. And Russell Moore said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, it's really, really bad. And so he he began to tell him all these stuff. And he began to say that, well, it's just that I struggle with stuff, awful stuff. I, I just struggle. And he said, when I pressed Felix about the gospel, he seemed evidence of credible faith and repentance. But he wanted to know, hey, listen, these demons that are inside of me are dark, He said, in fact, if you could prove to me that there were Jesus' bones were in the desert somewhere in the Middle East, I'd go out tonight and get drunk and do every drug imaginable. Russell Moore said, I probably shocked him completely when I said, well, I probably would too. He said, because Scripture says that if Jesus is not alive, then what we're doing here is nothing. He said, but the point is, I believe He is. I told Felix... That it seems to me that his response is exactly what we would do he said let us eat drink and be merry and the question rather than this is do you in fact believe the bones of Jesus are in the ground and Felix said absolutely not I believe he's alive and that's why I fight it all the time Russell Moore said I can give you a theological term for what he just explained it's called the normal Christian life Whatever we, Except the Lord Jesus Christ, we immediately become enemies of His enemy. And there is a primal, wild warfare that has happened from the beginning of time that we have now changed allegiances in the midst of. So temptation, I don't want to give any kind of impression and I can give you a formulaic response that you can say, well, if I do this, this, and this, temptation won't be there because that's just not true. But what we've done over the last few weeks is we've tried to come up with some, some thoughts, some challenges, some things to think about. It's almost as if we, we uh, you know, one of my favorite inventions of the last few years is, is the DVR, the TiVo. How many of you have a DVR or TiVo, all right? A few of us, all right? Here's why I love it. Is because you can pause live TV. That's important when you're a sports fan and you have three kids running around the house. Right? Yesterday, in fact, I watched a little bit of the World Soccer Championship. UEFA Cup, it's from London. I don't watch soccer all the time, but being in Brazil as much as I have, I've grown to appreciate the game. And when it's a huge game like that, I'll watch it. Well, I probably pause that thing I don't know, 412 times in the midst of watching it. And and I love that when something happens in my life, if I need to get away, I can pause it, go do what I need to do and come back. The the, the statements that we've used over the last three weeks have, have been kind of what I would suggest to you are statements that ought to make you push pause in life. That when you find yourself in a situation where temptation is real, or those primal uh, fights are going on, that you can push pause for a minute and think about some things before you move forward. So let's review the three things. These come from the three temptations of Christ. And I'm going to give you two big things to take away. The first thing that we learned, the first, this is actually three weeks ago, is we are not to sacrifice tomorrow to be satisfied today. In the first temptation of Jesus, Satan says, just take the, stones, turn it into bread. Once you do that, everything will be okay. And Jesus would have sacrificed the future to be satisfied with an immediate need today. We're not to do that. The second temptation was about the ability or the attempt to get God to do for you what you want him to do. It's a, an attempt to manipulate God. They Remember Satan asked Jesus to jump off of the tower and in doing that he would have given up a lot of stuff that he would have to go through, but he would have been trying to manipulate God instead of cooperating with the plan of God. So the second temptation is about that. The third one is that we aren't to do the right thing in the wrong way. Satan says, I'll give you everything, every kingdom. And, and Jesus was going to have that anyways. But Satan says, all you got to do to get it now is to bow down to me. So those are the three big truths we kind of learned. I want today to read through again this whole temptation account, because we've kind of taken it piece by piece. And then I want to think of two important statements that we need to remember. So join me in chapter 4, verse 1. Then, now remember, this is right after the baptism of Jesus. This is right after he was... um, confirmed to be the Son of God by the voice of God by the dissension of the Holy Spirit the Trinity had gathered there together it says then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry somebody I read this week said that's one of those statements that I don't really think Matthew had to put I mean after fasting 40 days and 40 nights you're going to be hungry now, why would Matthew put that in there? Here's why I think Matthew would put it in there: is to remind us that he was 100% human. He was weak at this point. Verse three: the tempter. I think that's interesting because it's not a temptation or a tempter or one of the demons. This is the tempter. Came to him and said, "If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread." Jesus answered from Deuteronomy, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And again, he says, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, again from Deuteronomy, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, from Deuteronomy. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. So we have this temptation account of Jesus and there are two big lessons that I want us to take away from the whole series and the first lesson I want us to see in this passage and in life in general is this that when temptation comes there is always more at stake than what you think there is always more at stake than what you think Jesus, it seems. I mean, these seems like kind of trivial things in some ways. Now, the last one doesn't seem trivial, bowing down to Satan, but the other two just just get some bread, just turn the stones into bread. It's kind of a trivial thing, and just do a magic trick, jump from the the pinnacle, and the angels will catch you. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But what is at stake here is much more than Jesus simply eating some bread or taking a jump. What is at stake here is the very essence of who he is. If Jesus had eaten the bread, if Jesus had taken the jump, if Jesus had bowed down to Satan, then what you have is he would no longer be sinless. And if he is no longer sinless, then he is no longer a sinless Savior. And if he's no longer a sinless Savior, then there is no Savior. There is always more at stake than what you think. Satan knew that. His whole attempts here were to get Jesus to forfeit the right to be the salvation for you and me. His whole attempt here is to get Jesus to forfeit the right for you and me to sing about the blood that will never lose its power. About being washed in the blood. His whole attempt is to get Jesus... To give up his future, his place in God's kingdom, and our right to be with him. The same is true whenever you face temptation of any kind. Whenever it's just a misrepresented number or a not quite true word about someone. Whenever it's just one night or one phone call or one decision it is never just one thing the consequences that lie behind it are greater I mean what's at stake you said there's always more at stake well well, what's at stake well here's what's at stake first of all your future's at stake I mean decisions we make today will greatly affect the future that we have now we see this in other people so well As a parent, don't you see sometimes decisions your kids are making and you think, oh, I know where that is going. You see that? You agree with me there? You see something there happening, you know, oh my goodness, you're going to... No, you can't do that. Uh, because then you then you won't get a good grade, and then your grades will be bad, and then you won't be able to get into the college you want, or you won't get the scholarships that you need, and then you won't get the job that you want. You won't marry the person that you need to marry, and before long you're out there on the street somewhere. No, you can't do. Mom, I just want to go to my friend's house this afternoon. You, you know what I mean? You see this in movies. You ever watched a movie and get mad? It's my like, Don't go in there. Don't you know what's in there? Don't you know? Sometimes movies will get you kind of the whole picture. And you'll see individuals making bad choices based on part of the information. Like, he, he really does like you. Just tell him. Don't go back in the car. There's somebody with the machete in the back seat. You know what I mean? We, we see that so easily in other people's lives. But it's so difficult to see in our own. We, we convince ourselves, well, that's for other people, not for us. Our futures are at stake. The truth is, if you're young, you've got a whole lot of future at stake. If you're not so young, you've got a lot of legacy at stake. It's been interesting to me to follow some of the discussion this week about um, Lance Armstrong. You know who Lance Armstrong is? The cyclist, won the Tour de France more than anybody else, and uh, defeated cancer, lived strong campaign, became a symbol for cancer survivors worldwide, still is. And now it seems that everybody on his team has come out and said they use performance-enhancing drugs, and most of them have said he did as well. And as the evidence mounts, Lance Armstrong's future really isn't in jeopardy as far as the Tour de France or titles. He's done. But his legacy is in major jeopardy. So for you, something you're facing today, a temptation you have, if you're older it may not be that you've got a major future 20 years from now it's going to affect but you can tear down an entire lifetime that you've built there's always more at stake than you think not just your future but your family I mean decisions you make today even if for people that aren't married yet decisions you make today can greatly impact the family God intends for you sometimes your are Faith is at stake. And I, I'm not suggesting that you can lose your salvation, but what I mean is that the more you give in to temptations in your life, the farther you drift away from the Lord, and the more you drift away from the Lord, the more you doubt that the Lord can can give you what you need in His life. So the more you give in to temptation, and before long, you are walking down a path where you are not listening to or following the voice of the Lord. That's why Matthew puts this section in there he wants us to understand that Jesus had a full understanding that there was much more at stake than just some bread and a magical jump that it was the future of you and me at stake here's the second thing I want you to think about this morning the issue of temptation really comes down to do you trust the Father? Do you trust him? You see, at, at kind of the 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 background of all three of the temptations for Jesus was this question from Satan: Are you sure God's taking care of you like He ought to? I mean, is it really necessary for you to be this hungry, Jesus? I mean, shouldn't God provide something for you? I mean, here's here's your chance. God God ought to be doing that for you, Jesus. I, I mean, really, um. Do you really need to go through all this suffering that you know in your mind is coming down the road? I mean, do you really need to to, to, to to be horrifically displayed before all these people? I mean, is that really God taking care of you? Jesus, why do you, creator of the universe, have to wait for the kingdoms of the earth to be given to you? There's no reason for you to wait. If God really had your best interest in mind, he He would give that to you right now behind every temptation is this whisper of "Do you trust God?" We started this whole series the first week of May, talking about the the three issues that are in temptation and that includes uh, identifying who you are, what you want, and where you're going. So it talked about your identity about your desires and your future. And really, at every level, you have to ask whether or not you trust the Father in those areas. Do you trust that you are who God says you are? Now, we have to understand who God says we are. Scripture teaches us that we are first sinners. Amen? We're sinners. That's who we are. And just because we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior does not mean we immediately give up that title. Remember in 1 John, he says, if you claim that you are without sin, then you do what? You make God a liar. The truth is not in you. So we are still people in need of a Savior on a daily basis. What that means is this. That means that you cannot go out and fight the enemy on your own. You cannot say, well, the Lord has saved me. I don't ever have to worry about temptation again. Yes, you do. All the time. And if we as churches, if you as a believer, if I as a believer, have ever made you feel that this life on earth is somehow free of temptation once you become a believer in Jesus, then we need to apologize and repent and explain to the world that when you become a follower in Jesus, temptation doesn't leave, it intensifies. And so it's okay to admit that those kind of things are happening. It's okay to say, I am struggling in this area. I have a problem with this area. In fact, we need to get more specific with that. Because it is easier to say, as one man pointed out, that I am struggling with procrastination than to say, I am lazy. Right? In churches, we've come up with politically correct ways to say things. I am struggling with loving certain people. It's easier to say than... I don't really like them at all. It's okay to say we we have issues there. Because that's who we are. Now the truth is, Scripture teaches, we are people in desperate need of the Lord at all times. In fact, one of the ways you can tell in your life if you are giving into temptation way too much is when prayer is no longer a part of your life. Because when you are in the midst of life living it on a daily basis and temptations are coming your way, when you are struggling effectively, you are tied into the power source of the Lord and you are praying continually that He will give you the strength to make it through. In fact, here's what's interesting. Anybody know where the Lord's Prayer comes in Scripture? What book is it in? Matthew? Where is it in Matthew? Matthew? You can look. You can turn a couple of pages over if you want to. Matthew six. All right. Let me just ask a question. Okay, is chapter six close to chapter four? It's chat Okay. I'm just, I'm, this isn't a theological. I'm just. There's one number in between, right? I'm just basic arithmetic here. Okay. Do you remember what part of that Lord's Prayer is? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass us not. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the thing. Jesus says just two chapters later, you know what? I just went through this whole temptation thing with the evil one. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be there. So continually, we're going to talk about prayer in the month of August. We're going to spend some time because everything you read, everything you experience, and everything in Scripture points to the fact that we as a church and you as an individual will never be as effective as God intends us to be as long as we are not praying like we ought to be praying. And I don't mean that as a guilt trip. I'm, not, I'm the, the, the whole month won't be about, hey, you need to pray more, feel guilty about it. We're going to talk about the amazing ability we have to communicate with the Lord. But the truth is... Jesus says in this model prayer where He says, these are the kind of things you ought to be praying about. He says, continually pray that God will deliver you from temptation and from the evil one. And so we get in those situations, we're sinners, but that's not all that we are. We are sinners who have been saved by the power of Jesus And understanding the freedom we have in Christ is the most important aspect of overcoming temptation. I mentioned the book Tempted and Tried. Russell Moore says in there, he says, I'm not going to ask you whether you're on the side of for capital punishment or against it. I'm not going to ask that. He said, but whether you're for capital punishment or against it, if they executed a man and then drug him out in the street and beat him up afterwards, it would be appalling. He said, partly because... It's just not right, and partly because it makes no difference. He says when you are a believer in Jesus, you have died to sin. You have been through hell through the person of Jesus who paid the penalty of your sin for you, and you were on the other side of that where you now have access to the power of God. So there's no reason to continually beat yourself up. You trust in the power of the Lord. You trust Him saying who you are. Do you trust Him to redirect your desires? And do you trust Him with your future? The issue often when we look at something is it may not be a bad thing that the temptation is about. It may just be that we're being offered gratification instantly instead of awaiting the reward of our Heavenly Father. You know, that, that test I mentioned at the beginning with the kids... It really came down in some in some ways, to whether or not they trusted what the person said about a future reward. The waiting ten minutes really came down to whether or not they trusted that if they did, they would get a reward. And oftentimes in your temptation, it comes down to whether or not you trust what the Father is going to do for you in your future reward. Over the last month, we've talked about a, a subject that could be difficult. In fact, um, my guess is that for most people that have been here for three, four, or five weeks of it, have had some moments in the midst of it when you may have tried to push it down, but, but a common temptation or a common place you've given in has kind of risen to the surface. And over these weeks, I haven't attempted to give you the the process to step-by-step step go through what i hoping that you see is that each temptation is tailor-made for you. Somebody asked me in a, through our um, our version app on the smartphones. One week somebody sent a question in anonymously and just asked, well, what's the difference in temptation and trials? Does God allow it? Use it? What's the difference? The difference is really that aim or the goal in mind. Satan tempts with the goal to turn us away from him. God tries us to get us to draw closer to him. And the truth is, sometimes God will allow major temptation in our lives in order for us to grow closer to him. I saw an interview this week between two pastors that are on really opposite ends of the spectrum. uh, John Piper and Rick Warren. And Rick Warren, in the midst of that, was talking about some things and talking about what God allows in our lives. And he said, here's the thing that I've realized in my life. He said, you've got those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said, what I've discovered in my life is I don't ever learn peace in the good times. I learn it when I'm going through difficulty. I don't ever learn to really love when I'm around people that like me. I learn to love in difficult situations. He said, what I've determined is God often uses the things that Satan intended for evil to turn me in a direction where I depend on Him more and it turns out for good. So the question is, why are you trying to hide what you're struggling with from the Lord? It's not any good. He knows anyways. Why don't you ask Him to help move you in a direction that brings you closer to it.